2: You are watching Rum Buncher Radio. This is episode number 54. Trey Yannity and Nick Caparoso back with you. Our regular host, Marty Lee, is going to be out this week, but we bring on a very special guest, a guy we've been super excited to get on the podcast, a member of the fan sided family, our parent company, Robert Murray. Robert is a baseball guru, guys. I mean, this dude knows his stuff all over the league. He's Twitter guru, baseball guru on top of that, breaking news and just covering the game so well for fansided.com. You've had an incredible career covering the game of baseball through Fansided. You're with The Athletic as well, covering the Brewers, other sites. Talk about your experiences covering this game of baseball. Tell us about yourself and really how you got involved, uh, you know, covering it.
1: Yeah, so currently I'm 25 and I ended up getting started when I was 17. I just created a random Twitter account called Big League Rumors, which that doesn't sound super credible, uh, looking at it in hindsight. Uh, (laughs) aggregating all the news and like I had never thought it would end up being like the start of a career or anything. I just thought it was going to be a fun hobby. And then I noticed my following go up to about 2000 or so and Chris Cotillo who was my age started breaking a bunch of news. Um,
3: yeah he was about that same time.
1: Yeah, Exactly he was breaking Ricky Nolasco he was on MLB Network and um, it was really exciting for him and it kind of gave me an idea of trying to make this a career too since he was doing it. And lo and behold, I noticed agents, executives, players following me. I talked to them over direct message and um, started breaking news here and there. And it just kind of turned into this launching pad. And uh, here I was getting texts from John Heyman and Ken Rosenthal asking me to help. And Rosenthal asking me to join the athletic. And um, yeah, it was, it's was. it been an insane journey. Knowing I'm only 25 and have hopefully 40 to 50 years more of this to come is it's pretty special. It's a pretty cool feeling.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're brand new in this industry. You're still so young, but you've already accomplished so much. Great baseball names there to help you get to that point. Talk about those moments. So when you're really getting into the career, when you when you break news for the first time and really get to experience that, what's that like? I mean, and, you know, you see the tweets out there, but we're never on that end tweeting them out. What's that feeling like?
1: Um, it is the biggest rush in the world. And I can tell you this year when I broke Fernando Tatis's uh extension of the Padres, which was three hundred and forty million. <laughs> In sports history, like I had known about it for a good 48 hours in advance, and then I got the call that morning saying it's happening. and It's like, oh boy, like I, I'm i at the gym, I'm texting, I'm calling, <laughs> settle down, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, there's no way I'm getting this. Like, Rosenthal or passing gonna just scoot me, um, and it's I'm gonna end up being super upset. And then, come like six or seven o'clock that night, um, one of my guys. Was on it said go it's done it's it's 14 years 340 million tweet it and i ended up running with it and just absolute madness but it's it's just an adrenaline rush it's kind of like for lack of a better comparison it's kind of like a drug you just want more and more of it um yeah it's never in a million years did i think i want news breaking to be my career or like the main focal point of it but once or until you do it, like it's just, man, it's it's unbelievable.
3: I just can't imagine, like, you're you know, 25 years old. You break the Fernando Tatis story, like that's it's gonna be tough uh, to top. Yeah,
1: it's uh, I, <laughs> next one to like that can top it. I have no idea what it's gonna be like. You guys have any ideas? I, I don't imagine Adam uh, maybe frame.
3: maybe it could Brian Hayes. Extension. Yeah, Brian Reynolds, ten years. Uh, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I'll tell you, Ryan Hayes, dude, that guy's a stud. They offered him, so they offered him an extension uh, earlier this year. It was, gosh, I want to say it was for Ronald Acuna's. I, like, I don't quote me on that, but it was some, somewhere in that range. And or no, actually, no, it was it was lower than, um, it was lower than that. And then Hayes's camp counter with Acuna's, like it was a verbal offer. It was never like a written offer or anything. Makes sense. Hawks never just took off after that. They're they're dead at this point.
2: That's interesting. I mean, you know, you probably hear so many different stories, rumors, if nothing else. You have, I'm assuming, a ton of contacts in your phone. What's the strategy to beat the guys like, you know, maybe a a Rosenstein or, you know, whoever's out there tweeting uh, the information first. How do you how do you get to the the Twitter account before they do and get that information out there? Is it just knowing people the right way or, you know, what's the strategy there?
1: Yeah, you want to be connected in as many different angles as possible. And like you would think that the only people who would know this information would be like GMs or assistant GMs or managers, but there's a lot of people who know stuff and it's a matter of getting to one, like getting contact with them. But a lot of it is relationships. Um, and that's tricky too, for me, because I've only been doing this for a short amount of time while Rosenthal and these guys have been doing it for 30 plus years. But if you end up building these strong enough relationships, they're going to help you. Um, So it's a relationship-based business, and that's how I've been able to have some of the success. Um, And I'm hoping that as I get deeper into this and get to know more people, it's just going to
2: end up turning into just exploding. But it's going to take a lot of work, but I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it can only go in the right direction. The more people you meet, you know, the more contacts you gain throughout this whole thing, it can only help you just break more news and, and, you know, be at the front of all that. Is there a line that you draw? You know, when you when you have information on somebody, and you know, when do you determine, okay, this is official; it's time to go ahead and put this out there. That this dude's, you know, signing a contract, <laughs> or whatever else. Well, <laughs> tornado there, and the <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to charge my phone. up. we're at nine oh, percent right No,
1: you're good. That's a really good question, actually. Um, so it depends on the story, and it depends on the source. Like, there's some stories where you know 100 it's true um and you have no problem running with it like that's there's i try to have that happen as much as i can but admittedly like you hear stuff secondhand and you need to confirm it through different channels but um i always like to have somebody who's directly involved like confirm it for me or if you have some good enough sources where you have like three or four of them and you're about 99 sure i still don't even tweet it because i want to be 100 percent sure because i've learned and like this is what Rosenthal taught me at the Athletic is he was like people will not remember the 100 times that you were right but they will remember the, or the they will remember the one time that you were wrong and it will absolutely just crush your credibility and I, we've we've seen that with other reporters I'm not going to name names but um, I don't want to be like that and um yeah I I always want to be 100 percent when I press send because I've been wrong before. Uh, and it sucks. It really sucks. Cause you feel like you're letting people down. Um, but I always want to be hundred percent. Right. And, and most of the time, if not all of the time, it turns out to be like the hundred percent.
3: Can I, I want to build on that actually. Cause you know, just like a few years back really before Twitter took over the, the baseball um, news feed, if you will, It was all about MLB trade rumors, right? And, you know, just in general, it used to be like, it seemed like it was always rumors are these four teams are connected to this player. Rumors are these teams are, and nowadays it just doesn't seem like that. It seems like as Twitter has evolved, it seems like the, it's like a deal just happens and there it is now. And it, they're not as dragged out as they were before. I, I I don't know. Like, has that something that is because of social media, or is that something in the game that's changed? Like you said on your end, where you guys are trying to be more, you know, credible and a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would I would say that's the case because a lot of these teams now, the new generation of baseball with these younger GMs, they really don't <laughs> want things getting out. And I know some organizations who. Have GMs who put like the, uh, they make it very clear they don't want things getting out until the very end. Um, and that's why we're kind of seeing um, a lot of this information not get leaked. And then all of a sudden, at the very last second, um, like it gets reported that a deal is done. Like Arnato was that case where it was like nothing, 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 and then done.
3: Um, and Josh Bell deal was like that. Yeah, exactly. I took a nap and woke up, and the deal was done. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that that was nuts. Because I, I like Bell was a candidate to be traded, in my eyes, But I didn't, absolutely, like, yeah, yeah, I didn't think he'd be traded at that moment, especially with the Nationals. Like the Nationals were not on my radar. Um, so
3: I think they were on our back burner. Yeah, for us, like we thought maybe because of Zimmerman and mm-hmm. depending on the DH. But yeah, definitely we figured AL was gonna be where he would be heading.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's like GM's not wanting that information to get out. And a lot of it has to do with Twitter and the new age and the MLB trade rumors. And um, just cause information is constantly getting out and people are getting this information in real time. Um, and there's in some cases where it can actually impact deals and these teams just right. don't get out. and um, But that's our job to try to figure it out so it can get out. And I also
2: take that as a challenge and I embrace that one. Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, I, you know, I think you're thinking about it the right way, if nothing else. You said a minute ago, you know, you don't want to let people down by giving them the wrong information. That's a great way. You know, some people I feel like are out there just to get the clout, you know, just to put it out there be the first one. But, um, you know, you're yeah. genuinely interested in making sure people know what the uh, the right information is. That's huge in all this. And, you know, in a crazy 2020, crazy 2021, there's a lot of really interesting information just kind of up in the air. You were able to break that Tatis deal. That was, you know, really incredible there, like we mentioned a minute ago. Let's talk about the 2021 season as a whole, what you've liked so far. A lot of no-hitters so far. I want your thoughts on that. Um, You know, really just the season as a whole, we're back now. we got fans coming back to full capacity, everything else. It's been a little bit different uh, than 2020, but I think, you know, we've really made some positive steps this year.
1: No, I think we definitely have. It's like it finally feels like we're returning to normal. Um, It's like I was at a game yesterday, and it was just – I was it was my first – or my first time covering a brewers game this year and seeing everybody in the in the media room and um it, it just felt normal and i'm traveling a bit too and but if we're sticking to the season it's uh it's it's more normal but it's also completely different because as you mentioned all the no hitters is just absolutely bizarre um like i there's been some talk about no hitters losing their luster and you know what i i can understand it since um I mean they're they're happening much more frequently after being a pretty rare event but I still think there's a lot of excitement with a no-hitter. Um and I don't think it'll ever lose its novelty unless like they're happening once or twice or three times every week. Um but another thing that's really stood out is like the the injuries. Like I'm sure you guys have noticed all the injuries going around in baseball at one point. Yeah. Brewers had 17 on the injury list. There's a couple teams who have had
3: bats are there of- right now. Yeah,
1: the Mets are in absolute shambles. Like they are having a hard time fielding a major league roster at this point, especially in the outfield. Um, yeah, and then their pitching stat. And I mean, Syndergaard left yesterday with elbow tightness and or elbow soreness. It's uh, it's not good. And, and there is already a lot of paranoia in baseball about all these injuries, but especially so now, just because there's so many of them, and seemingly there's like no way to stop this. It's just it's it's not good, but of all the things that have stood out for me this year, it's been those two things.
2: What do you think's leading to that? I mean, you know, it's – obviously the, the procedures are a little bit different with COVID, a little less hands-on, you know, trainer-wise, I can imagine, whatever else. What do you think is has really led to this spike that we've seen in injuries this year?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a multitude of things. Um, only playing 62 games – or 60 games last year. Um, and then this year is – you have um, – you have an extended season. You also have all these pitchers who are throwing with super high velocities, uh, like unlike anything we've ever seen before. And they have no idea where it's going. And it's 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 leading to one injuries at the plate. Like we saw with Kevin Pillar, like that injury was freaky. But yeah. all these pitchers who are throwing harder is putting more strain on their elbows. You see all these, uh, uh, these position players who are hurting quads or hamstrings or uh, like soft tissue, that that's a huge issue. Is all the soft tissue injuries. Like I would, I don't know the exact numbers behind it, but I would be very curious to see how many of these injuries for the injury list have been for soft tissue injuries. Um, it's uh, like it's been pretty heavy like so far, but I would imagine toward later in the season it could end up being even worse. I know there's some people who are really worried about it, but um, yeah, it's it's this year is basically going to end up being the survival of the fittest and like the last team standing literally literally standing is uh is gonna end up being the winner
3: i think a, you know like you said pitchers are throwing harder now than ever before mm-hmm. hitters are hitting more home runs now than ever before as well right they're also striking out more everything is just power now right do throw as hard as you can and swing as hard as you can and torque torque that bat upward at the end that way you get that launch angle like I just think it's, you know, that's part of it. Like you said, it's a lot of muscle, soft tissue, and it's because they're overextending themselves and doing things that typically, you know, baseball, not all players could do, you know, and now all players are trying to do it.
1: No, exactly. And it's uh, it's leading to these this huge rash injuries. Um, it's uh, a very scary thing. Like, we've seen this impact the best players. Like, Mike Trout's out almost two months. Yep. Cody Bellinger hasn't played yet. Christian Yelich looks like an absolute shell of himself from a couple of years ago.
3: That's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and then like I mean, I don't know, like Javier Baez hasn't had many injuries, I don't think at least. But like, him's... I mean, he
3: plays that. Uh, I mean, the way he plays and that shortstop, right?
1: Yeah, it's like he's also a shell of himself too. Like the only guy who's like been ext- well, I shouldn't say the only guy, but like in a free agent year. Um, Chris Bryan's basically been the best hitter by far. Yeah. Um, but he's been one of the like the rare superstars who have actually performed at that level. So it's,
3: but with him, you always got that worry too.
1: Yeah, you do. And it's, it's a very, it's a real thing. Um, I'm very curious, like if we're skipping at the free agency, if he continues this, I wonder what his free agent contract is going to look like because it's going to end up being pretty hefty. But
2: yeah, I don't know. It's, no, we'll see. Just, you know, it's, uh, it's really an interesting free agent market to talk about him especially because he's now looking like probably the best free agent hitter on the market this year let's you know let's go ahead and move right on along to we can come back and talk about other stuff if we have to um you know but this free agent market is going to be really really interesting it's much different this year and with all these injuries it's really you know kind of messing it up for a lot of teams we're gonna talk about the pirates here in a second too but um you know as we get close to the deadline some teams may be forced to make moves they don't want to make because they know this offseason free agent's gonna be really weird what are your thoughts on it and, uh, you know, who you kind of see being the top free agent targets outside of Chris Bryant?
1: Yeah, it's going to end up being the year of the shortstop. Um, and obviously a lot of the talk was about Lindor, but he, uh, he's not going to be a free agent. But the, the number one guy for a lot of these teams is going to be Corey Seager. Uh, he's hurt right now, but if he returns and plays the, the way that he was playing before the injury, he is going to get a deal that is going to open up some some eyeballs. Like if we think Lindor's contract was was hefty, He's going to exceed that. Um, and I'm pretty confident in that. Um, so Seager obviously stands out. Carlos Correa is going to stand out. Um, a guy I'm really interested in seeing is Marcus Simeon. Uh, Cause he's on a one-year deal with Toronto, but he's also got the flexibility to play second base, which is going to make him a lot more valuable in this kind of a market. So it's like, obviously Brian's going to get a lot of the talk, but and the sort of the shortstops, but like, it, they're getting that talk for a reason. And, and Scherzer is going to be a guy who's going to end up getting uh, some good coin too. Like there's a scenario that a lot of rival executives are talking about where the nationals, if they end up selling at the deadline, which they're not willing sellers ever at the deadline, like whatsoever. Well, let's say they ended up trading Scherzer and he ends up playing for a team for that's in a playoff hunt for two or three months Goes to a free agency and then re-signs with the Nationals, like
3: a little Rolla Chapman.
1: Exactly. So maybe the Nationals get their own version of Gleber Torres. So we'll we'll see. But there's a lot of scuttlebutt about that right now. I, we'll see if it actually happens. I mean, it's you hear you you hear about this talk quite often, but um, I've heard that from more than a few people, and that's that's got my attention.
3: So I guess then, yeah. I mean, we're looking at the deadline. I mean, do you think Scherzer is probably going to be, you know, if if the deadline was tomorrow, you know, who's the top names you think would be uh, available?
1: Wait, like at the wait, I I couldn't hear your question.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. So if the if the trade deadline was tomorrow, yeah. uh, who do you think the top names, yeah, you, oh. you know, would be?
1: Got okay, got it. I'm, I'll actually like I'll start off with two of those names that we just mentioned. I think Scherzer is going to end up being one of the top guys. Um, and we are could also look at Bryant. Even though the Cubs are contending right now, they're toward the top of the division. Like Jed Hoyer realizes, this is not a World Series team. And in order to build a sustainable winner, you're not gonna you're you're, you're gonna end up benefiting by trading Bryant rather than uh, letting him go as a free agent because you're gonna end up getting draft picks back in return. I think you can end up getting a pretty decent haul.
3: Wait, from. hold on. This is a Pirates podcast. Uh, hold on a second. You mean to tell me that you're going to trade someone, but a year before a free agency, when you're not going to win?
1: Hey, I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm sure you guys. Even know, the
3: big market, market Cubs. Foreign ideas. I mean. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: it's gonna. This could end up. Like you're gonna look at a very different Cubs team. I'll tell you that one. That's. Uh, I think um, you're right. Um, <laughs> that uh, was well played by you. I like that one. That was good. Um, like. I, like, also, if we could stick to like, – since we're on a Pirates podcast, I'll talk about Adam Frazier for a second. Yeah, That guy is going to have a very strong market at the deadline, a very strong market because he's been one of the sneaky best hitters in baseball to start the year. Like, He's not hitting home runs or he doesn't have a ton of RBI, but look at his other numbers. Like, He's hitting 350 or somewhere in that range, and he's he's been just super reliable on what the Pirates thought he would end up being. Um, when he first joined the team so I give a lot of credit to their player development I thought that's was a very impressive thing for them to to get him to this level again um, and I don't think there's a better fit for him than the Mets um, I think the Mets stand out to me um, like as the clear cut best fit for him and I don't know if they're going to be able to give up what it's going to take to get him but I think that stands out maybe the Mariners too but uh, that one's a little, little more murky than the Mets, but um, it's it, this deadline is going to end up being interesting in the fact that there could end up being some of these teams that we did not envision being sellers, like the Twins too. Um, yeah, you look yeah. at uh, they have a bunch of free agents too, like uh, Andrelton Simmons. They got, uh, I mean, they just signed Colome too, um, who's struggled this year. I also think a lot of teams are going to check in on Byron Buxton, but to no avail. I can't see the Twins trading him at all. Um, but teams are going to try just because he's a really valuable guy and plays elite defense and center field. But I mean, those are going to end up being the guys that, that stand out to me. And I'm sure as the deadline gets closer and these teams start to kind of position themselves in the, in the postseason hunt, there's going to be some more players that join the market or potentially are off of it.
3: So if I, if I could circle back to Frazier here, cause you know, this is someone that been talking uh, you know, obviously a long time about you know two off seasons ago when Ben Charrington first got hired, yeah, long time. <laughs> um, Susan Slusser, when she was working for um, with the Athletics uh, beat, she she reported that they were one of three teams who had offers in on Frazier, and so we kind of were expecting him to go. Then he never went, and then the deadline last year. Now, do you think? like you, you were talking about giving credit to the player development. Should should we also give credit to Ben Charrington? Is he going to get more at the trade deadline? If, you know, obviously Frazier is not going to hit 350, but, you know, continues to hit above 300 and, you know, play solid defense. Uh, do you think he can net a bigger return at this trade deadline than maybe he would have this past off season?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Like his value right now is, has never been higher and the pirates recognize that and they would be smart because they're not going to contend this year or probably even next year. This is a, a multi-year rebuild for them. Uh, sorry to say that, guys. I'm sure you, you you're, you're very familiar with that, though. Oh yeah, right. so, I, 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 Trey's in tears. I mean, we're not gonna right. make the playoffs this year, Robert. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's a bit of a hot take by me. It's uh, we're turning into. Uh, I was about to give a shout out to. It. Yeah, never never mind. We're I uh, won't I won't do that one. But um, Frazier's value has never been higher. Um, boy, my phone keeps doing that. Sorry about that. You're oh, all good. Yeah, I'm gonna just go like that. Um, but, yeah, Frazier's value has never been higher. Um, and a lot of these teams are going to give up more. Uh, there, It's going to be a competitive market, and the Pirates are probably going to end up having a, a lot of strong offers. And the team that ends up stepping up at the 11th hour is going to end up getting him. And this is going to end up being something that really ends up improving their farm system uh, because, it's, at this rate, you cannot improve their farm system enough and improve that next wave of, of talent that comes in. So, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if they're going to be able to get uh, a top 50 or top 100 prospect in this deal. I'm still trying to figure that out cuz um uh, it all depends on whether or not he's sus- just like this success that he has right now is sustainable. But I'm I'm pretty optimistic that they're going to they're going to get a pretty decent hunt for from in return. Uh,
3: another thing that, you know, you mentioned was that the Mets being a team and I really have been thinking about the Yankees too as a potential team just yeah. The big thing with Frazier is, yes, he's a very capable second baseman, but he gives you that flexibility that he's had plenty of experience in the outfield as well. And like you said, both those teams up in New York are struggling to fill out rosters, so getting a guy who can play a couple positions obviously is even more valuable. Um, but to circle to where I was trying to go with that is, you know, you're talking two high uh, budget teams. And Adam Frazier makes very, you know, minimum. But does, Is that going to favor the Pirates too? You're looking at the Yankees who don't want to go to that luxury tax.
1: I was just about to make, make that exact same point about the luxury tax for the Yankees because you hear these this team connected to Trevor Story. And that's somebody I didn't mention before. Oh, um, Yan- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yankees are being heavily connected to Trevor Story already. Um, and they could end up preferring somebody who is – was cheaper um, than a guy like Story, and that obviously is Frazier. And this could end up, if you acquire a guy like Frazier, you could play him at second base, and then you can move Lemahieu to first, or you can move him all over the infield and, and keep Claver Torres at shortstop. Or you could play him in the outfield, which they could definitely use right now because they have a bunch of injuries there. Um, but that would absolutely appeal to the Yankees, and I would imagine they, they would be willing to give up more for him too because he's also controllable. Um, and he's signed cheap. And that's the kind of player that you can – I I feel like on every World Series team, there's a player like Adam Frazier, who maybe isn't like the most household name, but he is really good, and he just gets the job done and performs well at the plate and plays good defense, and that's him. Um, So I can see the Yankees, the Mets. I mentioned the Mariners, too. There's going to be a lot of these teams in. And you mentioned the Oakland A's. Um, That could end up being a a pretty – competitive market for him and i expect it to be so i i i have a some vision of what a deal could look like in my head but i think that even might be a little bit too light because he's going to be in demand
2: yeah no doubt and you know you made a great point if he sustains this it's a much different player than if he doesn't there's there's going to be you know a ton of value if he still leads the national league and hits and his average is still about 300 everything else and the way he's playing i think it certainly could be um, Adam Frazier, you know, really has turned into this top prospect. The Pirates have a, a few trade ships so they could be looking to unload there on the thirty-first. What's uh, your thoughts on this? Really appreciate you joining the show tonight. I've seen you've been making your rounds. You, you hit up the Rocks pile a couple of weeks ago. join their show, so thanks for coming on. Talking Pirates baseball this time around. Let's really deep dive here on the Pirates, and we'll talk about the rebuild a little bit more in a sec. But while we're kind of talking about some trade ships and everything else, what's your thoughts on Rich Rod, Richard Rodriguez? Pirates closer has looked really unbeatable so far this season. He's allowed one run, um, and, and just has kind of upticked the fastball a little more. Really, just improved his game in all areas. Will yeah. probably not be a Pittsburgh Pirate come August, or you know, maybe come December. Uh, but your thoughts on that? Will the Pirates keep him around, or you know, what do they look for in return there?
1: Yeah, I thought he was going to end up being traded last year, um, and one of the teams that was in on him, from what I was told, was the San Diego Padres. Like Padres were in, but they weren't able to get a deal done because the pirates were asking for a little bit too much and, and they weren't comfortable with that. Um So they ended up not trading him and they are going to end up. I would imagine this is going to end up being the year that he's traded just because he's a guy that like, these teams are all going to covet pitching depth and he provides quality depth. So I, I would imagine he's going to end up going, his market's going to be strong. Maybe not as strong as Frazier. Obviously they're two completely different players, but um yeah, I would I would imagine there's a decent chance
2: that he's traded, but
1: I think there is a couple others who are even more likely. Um and we can go into that in a second if you'd like.
2: Yeah, let's let's hit it, man. Who do you see kind of getting traded here, um really, you know, throughout the whole team?
1: Yeah, um so I would I would stick with pitching, uh Chad Cool if he's healthy. Um I'd imagine he's like from what I can tell, uh he would I know be,
3: Toronto was in on him last year, I remember at the deadline.
1: Yeah, uh, I yeah, I did not see that, but I don't know if they'd be in. Uh like they had pretty extensive talks at Toronto last year about Joe Musgrove. Like that that was at the finish line. That was that was right there. And then it it just did not get done. Um, um and then they got Tyler Anderson who's gonna end up being trade candidate too. I think he's gonna end up most likely going. And you also you look at the other bullpen pieces, like Richard Rodriguez, obviously, there's gonna end up being a few others who are gonna generate interest. But I would stick with those three guys, along with Frazier, as the most likely candidates to go. and And maybe that doesn't significantly overhaul the the, uh, the farm system or anything, but it's going to improve it. And then you look at the draft next year, where they got the number one pick, or this year, I should say, they got a lot of options, and they got some darn good ones. Um, and I know you guys want to talk about that later on, so I won't dig too deep into that. But yeah, it's. The pirates like their their farm system it's it's looking up especially if they end up navigating the trade deadline better than they did last year and uh they're, yeah last year was was very interesting that's uh that's what i'll say about that
2: yeah it, well i kind of want your thoughts on that real quick because you know it was quiet and from our point of view it was you know just waiting to get the right return and they didn't see that it was necessary last year but you know your thoughts from an outside perspective on um, on that trade deadline and really while you're on this one, kind of want your thoughts on just Ben Sherrington's work as a whole. We study it pretty intricately. You know, we break down these trades and really think about them a lot. But, you know, you don't love the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, you know, you follow it from an outside perspective. So just your thoughts on this rebuild so far and that deadline last year, kind of how it set up the team this season.
1: Yeah, I talked to a few rival executives who had spoken with the Pirates, and they mentioned that they seemed hesitant to pull the trigger on any deals, which I thought was interesting because you'd think a team like that would be giddy to, to – like pull the trigger on the deal if it was it was right for them and and these rival teams thought they made competitive offers and yet they didn't end up pulling the trigger but overall i think charrington's done a very good job like that they're somewhat competitive this year i know what they're eight games back right now Uh, i expected like i expected worse um but they were gonna end up being
3: hey i took that 58 and a half over
1: Oh, uh, give me that! How many do they have now? Like, what's their win total?
3: Oh, it's it's been it's been a rough patch. We're in a rough stretch.
2: You know, (laughs) Uh, we're looking at eighteen and twenty nine right now. So uh, they've gone three out of their last seven. Yeah, four in a row. Forty wins. Oh, you got this, man!
1: Yeah, uh, I'm already. um, like, I'd start doing that if I was you. Start just making it rain. All Um, right,
3: yeah,
0: but.
1: No, I think he's done a a, a pretty good job, and he's been put into a very tough situation overall Um, just because he doesn't have the biggest payroll. He was given a team that had no farm system, uh, very little major league talent, and he had to make some tough decisions. Um, And trading a guy like Josh Bell, obviously, was not going to be easy. Um, Trading Starling, well, he he was the one who traded.
3: that's his first deal.
1: Um, That was easy deal to make. Um, he's made some, some good deals. Um, so I thought he's done a pretty good job and especially with what he's been given. Um, I don't know if you could ask for much more for being out.
3: If I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Obviously, like Trey said, we've really dive into, um, Ben Charrington and what he's done and you know, what he's trying to do. And really what I see is it looks like he's trying to build what he helped build up in Toronto. And, yeah. you know, it, it seems like he's um, looking at the draft that, you know, and really trying to obviously key in on specific types of players and all these deals, whether it's the draft or these trades uh, guys, whose arrows are upward usually. Um, spin rates high on the fastball you know that sort of thing but I think you know where some people weren't necessarily super impressed with these deals at first because they weren't the headline grabbers you know they you didn't see the the top 100 prospect names but Ben Charrington I th- you know to what we understand is trying to target those guys who could be on that list next year, the year after that. And we're seeing that play out with some of these younger guys like Mikel Scotto, uh, Cannon Smith and Jigbo's off to a really good start in Altoona. And of course, Ron Contreras too. So who do you, uh, you know, who do you think is maybe the, the best piece that they got back and, and all, all those trades this off season?
1: Yeah. Like Charrington, this was his first, last year was his first test in making these kind of trades throughout um, the trade deadline. And I thought the Marte deal, even though it wasn't included, they didn't have the headliner that everybody was craving um, like Like That's somebody who I think is going to be very good. I know you guys think that he could end up being a top 100 prospect in the near future. Um, And I I would imagine that's going to be in the case. And that's what the pirates envisioned when they made that trade. Um, they thought he could end up being a real difference maker for this Major League roster down the road. Um, and so far, he looks every bit as good as that. And I think that should give you guys confidence uh, come this deadline that maybe even though they might not get a headliner in exchange for some of these guys, that they're going to end up being able to find good talent. Um, and I think that's an improvement over the previous regime. Uh, I thought Neil Huntington, like, it, it, some of the stuff he did was confusing. Um, I'll, I'll say, I'll put that nicely. Um, and I, I think Charrington is doing a really good job, as I said, with what he's with what he's been dealt with. Um, I'm just, I'm very curious to see how this deadline goes and how much more active than they are last year than they were last year. And from what I gather, I think
2: they're going to end up being more active when it's all said and done. Yeah. No, it's,
3: it's good to hear.
2: Yeah, no, it's really good to hear. I mean, it's uh, it, we weren't necessarily upset last, last year's deadline because we knew this is part of a plan, and what we heard a lot of was we like, also kind experience. of figured
3: with COVID too. Yeah,
2: exactly. It was just a different <laughs> like
3: scouting and stuff mm-hmm. was hard, yeah. and yeah, it's very the, hard. The data information sharing like system they set up. Yeah,
1: like that's, that's exactly why uh, Charrington talked with the Blue Jays as much because he had or as much as he did because he had a real firm understanding of what that organization was like. And plus Which he had, probably
3: also scared them.
1: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Plus he had trust in their front office. And like, I know as a fact that the blue Jays and those pirates were not happy that those talks about Musgrove leaked because of that trust between the front offices. Um, So like it, I would imagine they're probably going to end up talking again this year. I'm not sure who, but, like I'm pretty confident they're going to start talking again.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at that team too, and there's some good fits maybe an Adam Frazier, maybe Richard Rodriguez. Um, You know, I think Toronto is definitely a site that could be in talks with Pittsburgh this year. And, You know, you talk about last year's deadline, and I think a lot of it was just him figuring out exactly who he had, too. You know, he wanted to get a real idea of which Josh Bell he was going to have and, you know, which Joe Musgrove he could really trade. Uh, Figured that out, had a much more active offseason that's, you know, probably going to lead into a pretty active deadline here as well. We set some time aside for this, Robert. This is a very divisive conversation. This year it has gone from one guy to another, and we're a little bit divided here on the show even. It's it's a really fun conversation to have. Ben Sherrington's done a great job. But he has a really, really important decision to make uh, coming up here in the near future, the 2021 first-year player draft. The Pirates, as you know, have the number one pick, uh, and they have some options out there. I mean, some really talented kids. Kumar Rocker was the original name that everybody thought it was going to be. Then it was Jack Leiter and now some high schoolers coming onto the scene. Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer. I mean, so much talent out there this year in general. What do you got? (laughs) Yeah. If Um,
3: If I could just say. Yeah. This has been a very hot topic on our Twitter feed.
2: Very, very hot. Okay, very hot
3: topic so this is a big this is before... wise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: like i'll give you my answer then i'm curious to see how it compares a pirates twitter like if it if i was the pirates i would take lighter um and
3: you're gonna like, be a star kid they're gonna love you <laughs> wow let's go okay that was that's <laughs> beautiful okay
1: <beautiful. laughs> you got it so that's although i will like i'll give you this right now like in about a minute or two, I may give you an answer that you might not like. Um, so how's that for a tease? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. Um, but lighter like, for multiple reasons. One, he's been absolutely dominant. Uh, like, he's watching him pitch. It's like watching a major leaguer at work because he just carves through opposing lineups with relative ease. But I'm also a huge believer in bloodlines. Like, having your dad be Al Leiter, um, like, and watching what his dad did in the pros, like that would give me confidence that his son would be able to do the same thing. And obviously they're, they're completely different pitchers. And like, I totally get that, but having those bloodlines and having him being around the game of baseball uh, growing up, like he was like, you, you can't place enough value on that. And for the pirates to add a potential ACE for a decade and lighter, I think you, you have to do it if you're given the chance and they have that chance to do that.
3: To build on that lighter, you know he's still doing work with MLB Network. like you just he's invested in the game still. so you know like when when Jack's not at baseball, you know with the, whichever team he's with, he's gonna his dad's gonna be there to also guide him in the right direction as well, exactly, because, yeah.
1: Yeah. And he, plus he's got a real good head on his shoulders and he, he knows what it takes to win at there or what it takes to succeed at the major league level because of his dad and being around that game as much as he was. Um, but like, I, at the same time, I know there is, um, some outside support. I don't, I don't want to say for sure on the inside, but like, I will say outside support for the pirates taking mayor. Um, I don't know how strong of a possibility that is. Um, I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I have not had any success with pirates people giving me that answer quite yet, but, um, he was, he's definitely somebody I would keep an eye on for sure. And I even know that Jim Callis mocked mayor, um, to the pirates too. Um, yeah. so I, I'm not the only person who's heard that, um, or connected those dots, but if it I was
3: actually me- wrote about that a couple of weeks ago, Oh, did you? Yeah. i the big thing with him to what I understand is a, like his arrows up because he didn't get much of a season last year because of his location. I guess.
1: Uh, that, I mean, there, you, there you go. Like it's, but like at this, at the same time, I would, I would take lighter. Like that would, that would be my guy. That's, uh, that's, that's who I would take if I was a Pirates, but we'll see. That's, uh, they got time to make the decision. They have not made that decision yet that I can tell you. Yeah. But, uh, they have some very good options, and I, I'll I'll give you this. It'll be very hard for them to screw it up. Yeah.
3: So where where we're at kind of is Lawler or Meyer um, take the best hitter because there's just so much risk with pitchers. I mean we we wasted. I I shouldn't say wasted because I that's really the wrong terminology. But we invested so many years in and Tyon you know, and waiting for him. We invested so many years in Nick Kingham, who was supposed to be a big part of this rotation. And, you know, Clay Holmes, who at one point was a very projectable high thought of starting prospect. So taking that picture at first overall, just it, it scares me because of that, that risk of, you know, health, but also it just, in general, you look at the pitchers who go high and the draft, uh, you don't see a ton of success, especially coming out of Vanderbilt outside of Buehler and Price.
1: Yeah, it's you're exactly right. And I I would also add a couple more names to that list too. Like So, I mean, this isn't like those guys, but you saw how they were not able to properly build Garrett Cole. And then he goes to the Astros and just absolutely yeah. shoves and becomes the highest paid pitcher in baseball history. And then you also acquire a guy like Chris Archer, and I mean, that trade was bad from the get go. Like I, I, I saw that return and having the number three guy in that trade be Shane Boz mm-hmm. who like they drafted in the first round, like right before that. And I was, yeah. I was just very confused. Like that was, I, I looked at that trade and it's like, you know what, that's going to be considered one of the worst trades in, in recent history. And like, so far it's, it, well, that's not so far. It, it, is it is one of the worst trades. Yeah. Um, and they were not able to build Archer, and he looked like a shell of himself. Obviously, he dealt with injuries, um, and uh, you you can't fault the Pirates for that because injuries happen, and we've seen that every year in baseball. But like, I I understand your reservation in um in not wanting to take a picture at number one, but I should I wouldn't let past experiences scare you because this is a new regime, and Charrington and those guys have gotten more out of these players than than Huntington's era did.
3: Oh, I 100% agree with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's going back a month, two months, when it was Jack versus Kumar. uh, That's what we tried to explain to people. It's like Jack fits more of what Charrington's looking for. He's got that high spin rate on his fastball and I believe his breaking pitch also. His curveball could be better, but he has that four pitch mix. He has the high spin rates. That's what this front office looks for. And, you know, I think people are so used to the Neil Huntington, the six foot five, you know, just workhorse style pitcher. And right. We should have confidence that, you know, this new regime, they're, they're looking at other things than just, the velocity and the size of the pitcher.
1: Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. And and I'm, I would absolutely say that they've earned the benefit of the doubt. And that's more than Huntington's era could say. Um I, I think that's that's absolutely the case. And they're gonna end up looking at pitchers in all shapes and sizes who throw at different velocities. Obviously the trend now is, is throw as hard as you can and and just see where it goes and hope that God it doesn't get hit five hundred feet out of the park. Um, By the like uh, you know,
3: <laughs> yeah. watch out! Austin Riley's <laughs> yeah,
2: lurking.
1: <Lord>. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Austin, like okay. So if we're speaking, like I just want to talk about Riley for a second. Like this guy is one of the more confusing stat lines I've ever I, seen in my life. He's uh like what? He's either hitting homers or he's just striking out a ton. It's uh
3: like Joey Gallo.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, he's from the yeah, right side. Like, yeah, he's literally Gallo. That's a good comparison, actually. I I did not even think about like if if I use that in my column uh, for this week because I plan on writing about Riley actually. So if I if I say that, the uh, shout out to you, Nick. I appreciate. it. All that. right, all
3: right.
1: Yeah, but uh, no, like it's uh, I, I forgot what we were talking about. I I remember saying something along the lines of of uh, Charing- uh,
3: Charrington and just different size pitchers and not worrying as much about that. Oh uh, yeah, experience.
1: exactly. Like as as I said, he's earned the benefit of the doubt, um, and I, I'm I'm just I'm very curious to see what direction he goes in. But if I was them, as I said, I'd take lighter. But that's uh that's a decision that's I know is going to be a very highly debated thing in their front office for sure.
2: It will be. I mean, you know, there's no way around it. And any decision they make is going to be contested right away. And, you know, we really won't know for a couple of years. Nobody's going to be happy all the way. I'm I'm with you, Robert. It uh <laughs> these two gentlemen right here, I think are in the Jordan Lawler train. Um, but I, I think Jack Leiter's the is the play at this point. We'll see though. There's still some time for that to shake out and everything else. Robert, thank you so much for joining us this week, man. It has really been a pleasure having you on. Talking baseball, talking pirates baseball. Your final thoughts before we get you get out of here. Yeah, no. Well, first off, I I appreciate you greatly. Uh, like that's I've I told
1: you guys before we got on the show. You guys have been followers of me for the longest time, and uh, it's greatly appreciated. Um, but if we're, if we're sticking to final thoughts on the pirates, um, just stay patient, stay hopeful. Um, this is a different regime than uh, the previous one, and they've already proven to be pretty good. Um Charrington's good. I like Derek Shelton a lot. I think he's doing some really good work. And there's a lot of people who are raving about him uh, with what he's done in Pittsburgh. Um so the pieces are in place. It's just a matter of of adding more pieces and having Key Brian Hayes get back healthy, uh having the rotation continue like their step up, um have the offense be better i'll, I'll just I'll, I'll say that um well said honestly and <laughs> um and making these trades at the deadline that improve the team's future going forward so I, it's not going to be one year it's not going to be two years it might not even be three years but um i i think the pirates finally have the right pieces in place in order to to kind of turn the ship around
2: No doubt about it. I mean, it's only heading in the right direction and has Ben Charrington's continues to to get to make these trades and really shape it how he wants to shape it. I think we only see improvement this year. It's going to be a struggle. We've talked about it a lot. Thank you so much again, Robert, for coming in here, digesting it with us, breaking it down giving us your thoughts on that pick and everything else. Guys, go check out his work. Robert is an MLB insider for fansider.com. He's elite at his job. Go check out his Twitter page as well at by Robert Murray. You can find all of his tweets, the breaking news there as well. He is uh, truly an insider in this industry. Check out our website too, guys. Go to rumbuncher.com. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, as always. You can find us on fansider.com as well. You just have to look for the Rumbuncher tab there. And as always, guys, Omni.com is our home for Rumbuncher Radio. Until next week, guys, have a great week. Let's go Bucks.
0: At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland. Intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.